Yes, God, we sing and believe. There's no power like the name of Jesus. There's no other name for which man can be saved but the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for taking our place that we rightfully deserved on the cross. Dying, being buried, raising again. And now you're ascended into heaven. You are seated at the right hand of God. We serve and we worship a living God. Thank you, Jesus. Speak to our hearts today through your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Revelation chapter 21. So we've been looking at faith, hope, and love. Today we're looking at hope again. Revelation chapter 21. So Jesus has returned. Satan has been defeated. He was led out. After the thousand year placed back, defeated, the mighty armies have been defeated in the Valley of Armageddon. The Antichrist has been defeated. His great prophet, the one that helps the Antichrist, has been defeated. And the great white throne judgment has happened. And so all the events have happened. They've all taken place. And what remains after all those horrific things have happened, the tribulation, the wars, the Antichrist, the prophet, uh, Babylon falling, Satan being placed in the fire, taken out, given opportunity to conquer again, and then defeated. All those things have happened. That great white throne judgment has happened. And all that remains after all those events have happened is hope is life. It's spectacular. It's glorious. It's beyond description. You try to paint a picture of heaven, you fall short. You try to, to, to speak about what heaven is going to be like, we can't do it. I mean, there's no, no one who can uh, speak that well and use that many adjectives to be able to accurately describe just how wonderful heaven will be. But the idea of heaven, the idea of all the woes of the world being dealt with, being conquered, being removed, never to come back is an unbelievable thing. We have that picture, and it gives us hope. Now, life is difficult. Life is a grind, but it won't be in heaven. It won't be in heaven. Revelation 21, then I saw new heaven. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Hubba hubba. <laughs> Nothing better than that. That's a pretty good description of heaven. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Five years after marriage, sometimes a husband doesn't look like that, his wife. But I've never seen any groom stand here or wherever they stand these days. And when they open that door and he sees his bride, she's all painted up. She's got flowers. She's got that pretty sparkly dress on. You know, it's all, you know, just... But when he locks eyes on her, he just, I've seen him cry like a baby. 
I've seen him just grin like a Cheshire cat. Hey, baby, hubba, hubba. Come on down here. Let's get married. Right? But it's always a beautiful, beautiful theme. That's heaven. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Doesn't say he will wipe some tears. He said he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Hope. Hope. Hope is needed for every stage of life. When you're born through the sixth grade, you're crawling, talking, wobbling, stumbling, bumbling, trying to figure things out. Fears are faced. Some fears overcome. Some fears are not overcome. Struggles happen. Struggles stay. Learning how to live life, learning what matters, learning what's important. The pattern of personality begins to be positioned and set, and the grind begins in those early years. The grind of life. Hope is needed. Hope is needed for every child. Hope, hope, hope is needed. And then you got the teenage years. Life is a roller coaster. Big dreams, big disappointments. Life is exaggerated. You hear things like, I will never amount to anything. This is the worst thing that could ever happen. No one will ever love me again. No one will ever love me like Leroy did. No one will ever love me like Susan did. No one's going to love you like that. No, that's an exaggeration. This is the worst thing that could ever happen to someone. I will never have anything this bad happen to me anymore. Wrong. <laughs> you know, when you're 13, you think that. 15, you think that. It's, it's exaggeration. Chill a little bit. Back up a little bit. Listen from old people, learn from old people, but you need hope. Even teenagers need hope. In your 20s, think you know everything. Late teens, think you know everything, but tw 20s, think you know everything. Preoccupied with getting things started, careers, families. Men are saying they love their wife and no one can love their life like they do. They don't even know what love is yet. Ladies, be careful, be safe, be patient with that man. If you have a husband that's in his 20s, he don't know what love is yet. Give him some time. He'll learn. He'll grow. 
You know, you're going to have to train him a little bit. You got to show him. You need to, he needs to be, have some men around his life to help him. But in the 20s, the ladies are trying to somehow or another be the best mom you could ever be, be the best wife you ever be. The house has got to look like Pinterest. All the pictures have got to look like Facebook. Every meal has got to be the yum-yum picture in Facebook. What a grind that is. Occupied with getting things started, careers, families, learning curve is for keeps now, and the grind begins in those 20s. Then the 30s and 40s come together, and I put those two decades together because it's like a blur. It's just a blur. Raising kids, trying to develop that career, man, the grind intensifies in your 30s and 40s. You, you, towards the end of the 40s, you look at your kids and say, I thought I had all that figured out. And when you get to be 40, you begin to think thoughts like this. I wish I'd have known then what I know now. I'd have been a lot different parent in my 20s. But it's over. <laughs> you can't go back. You begin to realize the mistakes you made. You begin to realize what you made as important that really wasn't important. And the 30s and 40s, they're very humbling. It's a real challenge, but it's a humbling time. And, and you think you know everything, but you don't. But one thing is clear. One thing is unified. One thing is a universal experience is the grind intensifies in your 30s and 40s. Yes, hope is needed to survive the 30s and 40s. Your 50s, whew, the grind intensifies the 50s is when people talk about that midlife crisis. That 55-year-old man goes out and buys himself a sports car. Right? Sometimes he goes out and buys something else that's not good. There's, there's all kinds of pressures when you're 50. When you're 50, you really begin to soul search. You begin to ask yourself questions. Has it all been worth it? Has the grind been worth it? And, and you wrestle with all those kind of things. You realize that you've been doing the same thing over and over and over for a long time. Maybe different jobs, but still a job. You've been waking up every morning, getting prepared, going to work, putting up with everybody's ridiculousness at work trying to make more money from quarter to quarter, trying to produce more, trying to improve and, and make the, the uh, organization better. And when you become 50, typically, if you've done well in your 20s and 30s and 40s, then all of a sudden, they, they put you in places of management. The worst position to ever fulfill is management because you've got all these wackos. You're trying to help be not a wacko. It's, you can't stop crazy. You can't reteach crazy. You can't teach foolishness. And, and it's just, oh, the grind intensifies. And not only is there the, the monotony of doing the same thing over and over and over and having the grind take place, but the wear and tear on your brain, the wear and tear on your body, the wear and tear on your emotions begins to make an impact. It begins to really show up. I mean, at the end of the day, your brain's tired. At the end of the day, your back hurts. I have a perpetual pain in my back and I can't get rid of. 
I mean, I try this, I try that, I stretch, I do all those things. When I do my little jog, I try to keep my head up. So, what are you doing that for, Lee? I'm just hurting, you know? And the grind begins to just build up and build up, and it adds up, and it compiles, and hope is needed. The 60s, the glorious 60s. Your questions about the grind are lessened because you realize you can't do anything about it. You begin to accept things that you needed to accept earlier on, but you didn't accept it. And you begin to accept that life is going to be grind, so you keep on grinding. You keep on going. And you begin to wonder when the end will come. Something about turning 60 makes you think, my stars, when in the world am I going to die? How am I going to die? What's it going to be like? Will they come to my funeral? You, you have those thoughts. I, I, you know, I go to funerals a lot, and I sit there, and I look around. I said, I bet he don't come to my funeral. I bet she don't come. She'll have a hair appointment. She ain't changing her hair appointment for me. You think those kind of things. That's what happens. And you, you, you just realize the grind is a reality, and you have to always renew more than before that you're going to stay grinding. Man, hope is needed. Your 70s and 80s, I've lumped them together because I hadn't got there yet. I have no clue. I have no idea. When I was 20, I would say I knew what the 70s and 80s were going to be like. But now that I'm in my 60s, I know I have absolutely no idea what the 70s and 80s are going to be like. But stay tuned. One day, hopefully, Lord willing, I'll get there and I'll give you some insight on the 70s. But I do know in the 70s and 80s, you're going to need some hope. When you get to 90, you don't need any hope anymore. You just go on. Every stage of life needs hope. And man, do I got some hope for you today. Listen to this. John on the Isle of Patmos. It's either a video, and if it's a video, it's HD, triple D, clear whatever that number is, 64K times 29. It's crystal clear TV. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Jesus has come. That's big hope. But there's going to be some kind of cosmic event happen. So after the white throne judgment when the millennium has happened and everything is in order and everything is right and everything is is where it needs to be God is going to remodel Jerusalem and the earth and man what a remodeler he is who's your favorite remodeler Joanna Nicole Curtis the rehab addict Tariq and Christiana, don't like their stuff. Hillary Farr, love it or list it. And how about Aaron in Laurel, Mississippi? God love Aaron in Laurel, Mississippi. Which is your favorite, favorite remodeler out of one of those? Maybe you got somebody else. Well, I, I think they're all remodel well. It's 
really amazing to watch what they can do for a place. I like that young couple down in, in uh, Galveston. Man, they can make some of them places shine and look nice. But look what God does. Look at from the new space shuttle we got. Look at that. I have no idea what that is, some kind of particle dust thing, but God made that. Look at that. That's out there somewhere. Star Trek is way over there somewhere. Look at that. Look at the stars. Look at that. I guess those are galaxies and all his stars. Look, look what God makes. He's the best remodeler. Look at the colors. Look at the glory. Look at the brightness. I wonder if that big star up there at the top, I wonder if that's heaven. I don't know. It's really spectacular. God is a great remodeler. So whatever, whatever it's like, however the new heaven and new earth looks like, brand new, remodeled, taking the old and making it new, I don't know. I have no idea. I just know it's going to be spectacular in the idea that God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth gives hope. You should be looking forward to that. The second thing you see there is no more sea in verse 1. And the sea will be no more. Now, there's symbolism there, and I could be wrong about this symbolism that I'm going to give you, but this is what I believe it is. Now, the sea represents two things in the Scripture. It represents people. Okay, the sea of people, all right? So out of people, out of the sea, came the Antichrist. The great beast came from the sea. And so that's the idea in the book of Revelation. So I think it is not too far-fetched. Not, I think it makes sense. I think it most likely adds up, especially in the content or the context of the Scripture and, and, and what what the Lord is showing John here, I think, and the sea was no more means evil will be gone. No more antichrists. No more evil. No more Ted Bundys. No more Kaczynskis. No more Charles Mansons. No more Henry Lee Lucases. He was in San Angelo for a long time for his trials. Evil. No more Richard Ramirez's. That cat was evil. Holy cow. No more Mao Zedongs. No more Ivan the Terribles. No more Hitlers. No more Stalins. No more Idi Amin's. This past trip to Uganda, we went and saw one of the death places of Idi Amin, and it was like a bunker. Israelis had come, and they thought they were building a bunker for ammunition and things like that, but he used this, this bunker to, to kill hundreds of thousands of people. No more Pol Pots, no more King Johns. King John was a bad man. Bin Laden's, Hussein's, Nero's, Caligula. Holy cow, study about Caligula. There may not be no one more evil than Caligula was. And, and study on Pope Alexandra, Alexander VI. Wow, he wasn't saved. He didn't believe in Jesus. There is no way that cat, as the Pope, had a relationship with Christ. It just wasn't possible. Gaddafi's, Herod's, kill all the babies. Genghis Khan's, Attila the Huns, Kim Jong-il's. I mean, think about all the evil people 
that you know about. Think about all the evil people that are around right now that we don't know about yet. Serial killers, you know, dictators, politicians, people that don't care about people that have lots of power. It's, it's all around our world. In heaven, in heaven, evil will be no more. No more evil. That gives hope. What do you got to look forward to? No more evil in heaven. None. Let's go on to the next one. A new Jerusalem will come down, and I heard a loud voice. I heard a loud voice. Excuse me, verse 2 there. And I saw the holy city of New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And so it's going to be that kind of scene for that marriage. As the new Jerusalem is going to come down, as a bride is prepared for her groom. God will dwell with us. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place God is with man. He will dwell with them. He is going to live with them. He is going to be present. He is going to be visible with us in heaven. That's what that's that's something to really be excited about. That's something to have hope in. That's something to help us handle the grind of life now. That one day in heaven, when all things were fulfilled, that that God is going to dwell with us. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So now it's by faith. By now it's by the faith of sight of faith, right? By now it's by our experience. By now it's by us believing in his word about God. Then it's going to be seeing him as he is. We're going to see him as he is. He is going to be there. He is going to be visibly in the room visibly on the earth, and we are going to be able to dwell with him and he with us. That gives hope. That ought to give hope. And then verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. No more pain. No more injustice because that causes pain. No more ICUs. Cook's ICU is the most difficult place in the world. Horrible. Horrible to go in there. No more. No more funerals. No more funerals. Think about that for a moment. Let that set in. No more funerals. No more bad news. No more losses. It's all passed away. We're not going to have any grieving. We have the class. We have the help us cope with grieving here. We don't have that class in heaven. No more grieving. No more mourning. No more loneliness. No more just pain deep down inside when we lose a loved one and we experience that grief. No more. No more cancer. No more cancer. No more heart disease. No more baldness. I've been looking at the hair I want to have one day. I mean, I'm telling you. I'm going to be pretty. I'm going to have it. Hope. If all these things pass away, 
All these things cause despair. All these things cause pain. All these things cause an agony in life. All these things make the grind of life difficult, more difficult, right? Gone. Hope. Hope. And then in verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. It's not going to be like it was. Also, he said, write these things down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. It is complete. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Remember in John chapter 7, after the festival, he's looking around. He's seeing no life. He's seeing the, the grind of religion. He's seeing the grind of making a living. He's seeing the grind of staying afloat. He's seeing the grind of surviving life now. He sees no life. He sees no laughter. He sees no joy. And he cries out with a loud voice. He says, come to me, and I will give you rivers of living water. The idea of rivers of living water, we know what that's like now. We have a dry, parched land around us. And, and if we would have a river coming through, we would have green all around, and we could water out of that, and we could bring life again. And, and that's the idea to, to the grind of life, to the, to the impact that sin has on this world, to the evil, to the anger, to the hostility. I am the river of life. I will give life, and it will fulfill you. You will never be thirsty again. And look what it says, without payment, Without payment. Let that soak in for a minute. No property tax on the life. No federal income taxes. No gas tax. No sales tax. No politicians. You can't have politicians without tax, right? God is going to be in charge. God is going to be making decisions. That's what it says here. No payment. We're going to be able to get that life without payment. It's going to be completely free. Now, it might be a stretch to talk about the tax part, but I enjoyed it, so I hope you're okay with it. <laughs> Verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage. The one who conquers will have this heritage. In Christ, believing in Christ, these things that we have said today, that we have mentioned, that no more pain, the new heaven, the new earth, the bride before her husband, uh, the dwelling of God among us, those who believe, those who know him, those who have a relationship with him, that is going to be our heritage. That is what we're going to receive. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Oh, what a deal we got going for us. What a deal. What a deal. Hope. It ought to cause hope. The heritage ought to make hope. The, the living water ought to cause hope. All things new should say hope to us. No more pain, no more crying, no more mourning should say hope to us. God dwelling with us, that's hope. The newness, the new Jerusalem, the new place, the new way of living. No more evil ought to just say hope, 
hope, hope. You might be struggling now. You might be going through a difficult time now. But consider life then. You're, you're, however today, however old you are today, you've got a limited amount of time before the hope begins. Even if they're soul sleep, even if they're soul sleep until these, this time comes, at least a thousand years, and, and no telling how many more years before Christ returns, even if there is soul sleep. Many people believe Jesus taught soul sleep. If there is soul sleep, no big deal. Let me tell you why. Okay, now, soul sleep versus to, to leave here and go be with heaven, go be with Jesus. To be absent from the body, as 2 Corinthians tells us, is to be with the Lord. So we either going to have soul sleep or the moment we die, our spirit goes to live with, with him. Okay? Now, I believe that when we die, our spirit goes to live with the Lord. But I'm, if I'm wrong, if we have soul sleep, last night, I kid you not, I get up to use the restroom, 2.30 in the morning. Oh. I said, you walk like that too when you've been sleeping. And I kid you not, I come back, I, I take my pillow, fluff it up a little bit, get it just set. I get back in bed in absolutely the most perfect sleeping position for me. Doesn't happen all the time. It's an amazing thing. I, I got my alarm cl clock set for about 6.30. It's 2.30. I got four hours of perfect sleep to go. And the thought entered my mind, soul sleep won't be so bad. Soul sleep won't be so bad. If when we pass away, soul sleep begins, ah, oh, the grind is over. For four hours, the grind was over. I did have some crazy dreams that Susan went and bought a new Honda car and made me drive it. And because of some reasons, and I said, I don't want to drive a Honda car. But I said, I would, you're going to drive the Honda car. I got you a, a nice little one. I don't want to drive it. We argued all night long in my sleep <laughs> about the new Honda car. I don't know why. I never thought about it. Maybe the last commercial I saw yesterday was a Honda car. I don't know. But the idea is I get excited when I get in that perfect sleep position and I've got four hours to go. Ah, man, I'll sleep for 2,000 years and then he wakes me up and I'm in heaven. So either way, to be absent of the body, to be with the Lord or soul sleep, hope. Man, I can handle the grind of life now, a few more years left and then I'm gonna have all of eternity in heaven. The grind takes on a whole new perspective here. If you're struggling in the grind of life, go get on the second floor of your house, if you got one, or the first floor, and look at your life. Change your perspective. Get a little bit of God in there. Get a lot of God in there. Get all of God in you. And think about life. Think about perspective. Think about eternity in heaven with a, in a place that's like this. Hope. You can make it. Keep on pressing on, hope in Jesus. Christ is the hope of our glory. This is what we have. And this might be the best thing of all. And, and I may make you uncomfortable today, but that's okay. You've been uncomfortable before. You can deal with it. If not, learn to deal with being uncomfortable, for God's sakes. Quit being such a sissy. Verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, 
As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. That's hell. And Jesus goes on to say it's the second death here. Which is the second death? The word says it's the second death. But, verse 8 says, but. Verse 1 through 7 was describing what life is going to be like for all of eternity for those who believe in Christ, for those who are born again, for those who have a relationship with God. But those who don't, because they're cowards, because they're faithless, because they're detestable, they haven't been changed, there's murderers, they're sexually immoral, they're, ir- they're, they're not repentant people, they're sorcerers, they're idolaters, they're liars. They have not had their, their sin nature broken. There is not a desire in them to live for Christ. There is not a desire for them to obey him. There is not a desire in them to please the Lord. Theirs is the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, the second death. And so the greatest hope might be this. The greatest hope to help each one of us Deal with the grind of life is this. We ain't going to hell. We ain't going to hell. In Christ, we ain't going to hell. We're not going to hell. We may have hell here on earth. We may struggle. We may have problems after problems. There may be lots of crying, lots of mourning, lots of struggle. The grind intensifies more than we can deal with, and we learn to rely upon the Lord more than we ever thought we would ever have to. It's a very difficult, difficult world, but we ain't going to hell. Rejoice in that. Have hope in that. Keep on struggling now. Keep on grinding away. Keep on living for Christ. Take as many people as you can with you. Give people hope. Give people opportunity. Give people messages of love and show them what it is. Love them. Care for them. Live your life here to the fullest for Christ because you ain't going to hell. Amen. You see, the results of the second coming is more important than the timing and the order of the events. We need hope now to handle the grind of life. And the greatest hope that we can experience now are the truths. Write it down, he said. Write it down. I am the Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. These things will happen. I am trustworthy and true, the Lord God says to us. Hope. Hope. That's what God is at work doing for us. Amen? Amen. Help us, Lord, to embrace the hope. Help us to just trust it, to believe it, to know it, to experience it. Help us to give ourselves to you completely. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come forward, please.